Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership. And I'm pleased to say that uh, Dr. Lee Kearney uh, has joined us again for another segment on leadership. Lee, welcome back. Thank you for making the trip back down to South Orange. Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. You know, Lee, we had a very in-depth conversation about some of the, the basics and fundamentals on leadership. And today I'd like to explore with you emotional intelligence. I think, in my opinion, that emotional intelligence is somewhat not understood or misunderstood as one of the key factors that a good leader needs to have. Well, emotional intelligence, a Daniel Goldman coined phrase, is really a collection or a constellation of some basic skill sets that have been around for a long time. So we can break it down and make it less less gnarly, if you will. The ability to self-monitor and kind of watch yourself act as you're acting and being sensitive to behavioral cues and some of the intangible body language that people emit that's interpretable and being aware of your own impact across a variety of situations and across a variety of personality types and your ability to establish and maintain relationships and build trust, your social flexibility, and a lot of, a lot of the skill sets that interpersonal and intrapersonal skill sets that leaders must have to some degree or another are, are easily coined in that phrase, emotional intelligence. So it's a good thing that we now at least have that, that catch-all term. And, you know, in today's economy, with all of the challenges that a lot of businesses are having, um, you're having some managers who are thrown into some very, very challenging and difficult situations of doing turnarounds. I guess you would say that it's very central for them to have a very high emotional intelligence score. If that's the case, what are the key things that they need to be cognizant of when they come into a situation that they have to do a turnaround? I am actually working with a few people, one that comes to mind who has a very big challenge a new, a new president of a large organization that was doing quite well until last September, 08. And, and this culture that he entered had been pretty comfortable and very successful, and they uh, liked what they did, and they were compensated well for it. And now all of a sudden, the skill sets they believed they have are no longer appropriate for approaching clients and customers in a completely different way and having a sense of urgency and focusing on um, results in a much finer magnifying glass than they ever had to look at results before. And so this person came in and in a turnaround, you, you think of the tough stand, you think of the autocratic leader, you think of the one who comes in and says, this is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is how long it's going to take. And this is what you need to do right now is very prescriptive and directive. And actually, when you're dealing with a culture and with a, with a tough turnaround, it takes both. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to take a tough stand, but you also have to be able to figure out what it takes to move every single individual on a team um, of leaders and that will subsequently move every single person in an organization if you're if you're going to go against a, a comfortable culture it sounds like you have to have track a track b and track c or even track d track a is we got to keep the, the business going track b we need to assess what we're doing right what we're doing wrong track c is okay for the things that we need to improve what are the programs that we're going to be in place meanwhile you might have some performers who you need to bring along it sounds like a very complicated task you're making me chuckle Darrell because nobody ever said that leadership was easy it isn't <laughs> I mean if, if leadership was easy then everybody would doing, be doing everybody would say sign really me up well. <laughs> yeah, sign me up exactly I'll take the big job and so with the big job and with the challenge of leadership there's a lot of complexity a lot to think about you're calling it track A, B, C and D you're absolutely right all of the components of an organization need to be thought of mm -hmm. simultaneously mm -hmm. and in some cases they're very paradoxical 
Right. How do you drive someone to do something they don't really want to or know how to do while you care about them mm -hmm. and develop mm -hmm. them? I mean, those two statements sound paradoxical. They are. And it's absolutely what, what particularly this president I'm working with has to do. Mm -hmm. I think you had mentioned that um, this, this individual has a high-performing young go-getter who, uh, on one hand, will go knock down any wall for you. But on the other hand, it's causing problems within the organization. So, you know... Or I, may, may cause problems in the organization because um, if you think there's many examples where we can think of a driven, ambitious, bright, mm -hmm. young, talented, organizational person. It could be mm -hmm. female or male. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they are happily working themselves to the bone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter why. If they yeah. believe it's necessary or they just can't help themselves. At any case, the boss, the leader, has to be aware enough, has to pay attention to all of those social cues and interpersonal cues, listen very carefully, and look for meaning where someone might not stop and think to be able to figure out how fragile someone who is a high performer really is or how fragile someone who is not performing really is. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to keep a hand on the pulse of a team and an organization and how hard can they be, they be pushed and do we have the requisite skill set? Do I need to go get other skills? Um, do do I have anybody who's about to blow up? All of those things. And, you know, that's, that's very interesting as you need to make sure that you manage the individual to the point where they're productive and it's not counterproductive. And the cues. Um, reading cues sometimes can be extremely difficult. Someone's body language or they may make a statement that says one thing, but their body language says something else. Yes, it's a skill that I work on a lot with some of the men and women I coach, which is figuring out how to ask probing questions. Some would call it active listening. Mm -hmm. Figuring out how to ask questions to understand and not just be satisfied with the first or second answer you're given, but spending time in dialogue, in discussion around issues that have nothing to do with the task of the job, but non-task focused conversations so that you can start to know the person, what makes them tick, mm -hmm. what motivates them, what demotivates them, mm -hmm. and, and how stretched they really, really are. You know, that kind of takes me back to one of the first themes I learned in psychology when I was attending here at Seton Hall taking Psychology 101, and that's Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs <laughs> and understanding what motivates someone. And I always would tell uh, folks I work with, we need to understand what motivates someone to do something, what motivates them to take action, what motivates them to not take action, mm -hmm. and getting to know the individual uh, on a very deep level, it, it does take an investment of time. It does, and it also takes self-awareness in the leader because you, if you're leading someone or a group or a team, Darrell, you have to know what your values are, what motivates you, and how you trust people so that you can put your own agenda aside mm -hmm. and really understand what that is for someone else. For me, for instance, if you and I were working mm -hmm. together, you would have to suspend your own judgment on what motivated somebody mm -hmm. in order to truly understand what motivated me. Right, right. And then once you do that, I'm, I'm more likely to trust you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is it important for a leader to not only define for themselves what their values are, but to articulate those values to the individuals that they work with? Articulate them, 
but also live them Mm -hmm. and role model them Mm -hmm. and talk about the behaviors that come out of those set of values. And it's interesting that over the past year, being fortunate to work with very senior teams, there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of discussion about values, Mm -hmm. a lot of back to basics, a lot of thinking about what the organization really stands for and where we're going to cut costs and why we're going to cut costs or where we're going to invest the money that we do have for the future and and what that means for people and the organization. And so coming back to core values, which Mm -hmm. is an essential first step of Mm -hmm. leadership, is also important for for having emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to know what you stand for. Right. And, and what your values are so that you don't superimpose your own mm-hmm. on others. Right. That's a very good point. So you don't superimpose your values on others. So it's important for you to understand your values. Therefore, you're able to understand someone else's values. And what if there's a conflict of values between your values and someone that you work with or that you manage? The usual outcome is that there's a overlap of values that's mm-hmm. in line with the organization. Mm-hmm. People are hired for skill sets mm-hmm. they bring. People choose organizations for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And people are different. Right. And so the chances for us to have similar values for the organization, but different personal values mm-hmm. for how we live our lives, mm-hmm. is that's Fairly common. It's fairly common. It's fairly common. Something you said to me the other day, you said, you know, Darrell, what I've learned is that oftentimes people do not quit a job or a company. Oftentimes people do not quit a job or a company. They quit their boss mm-hmm. because maybe the boss didn't live up to the values that they said that they would adhere to or, or that they would run the organization by. Let's go back to your Maslow hierarchy of needs. And as long as you're being compensated well enough, I mean, if we take the pay out of the equation, Mm -hmm. and as long as you are happy enough with Mm -hmm. the position you're occupying, then working for a boss who you actually like and can trust versus respect. I mean, if you if you look at some of the research around respect, yes, people can work for someone they respect. But over time, if they don't like that, if that person doesn't like them, if they don't like each other, it's not, tendency for it to work out is, is, is not great. And in that liking part, there's a relationship. Mm-hmm. So if you can't have some relationship, and, and there's all different kinds of relationships mm-hmm. with your boss that's mm-hmm. satisfactory, you're likely to leave. Mm-hmm. It's the number one cause people leave, leave jobs. All these relationship components. Very important. Getting back to the the cues, uh, oftentimes you'll have a manager who will is very good at articulating uh, what their values are. However, this particular manager is not uh, walking the walk, as as you said. If you look into the audience while the manager is talking, I guess you would see uh, some of the the body language or the cues from the team. That's like, yep, there, here she goes again. Um, but but we're not buying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes I wonder now in today's leadership style. Uh, watching CNBC, you see the different leaders come on the show to talk about their company. And I don't know, maybe it's my perception, but I'm starting to see some some really articulate leaders who are able to talk about their values and, and talk about what they're going to do for their company. And I'm curious to see the folks who have been on the last 12 months to see how well their, their companies do. But I'm, I'm more interested to hear from their uh, team members. Their people, yes. So do we believe the hype or is it just talk? I can only speak to the people that I work with. I would say I believe the hype. I mean, the particular leader I've been referencing in in this interview is the kind of person who is 
in the office at 7 o'clock in the morning before everyone gets there. He is there later at night. Mm -hmm. He does have his door open. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get to hear him in a, in a private setting complain about not being able to get his work done because he's listening. Right. He is available. Right. He is investing in developing the talent he's identified. Now, where that causes trouble right. is that he gets to identify the talent. And if the if the old culture that has mm -hmm. valued some of these, mm -hmm. and if the, if the old culture that has mm -hmm. valued some of these mm -hmm. old behaviors is mm -hmm. now not going to work in the future, there's clash, there's right. conflict. Right. And why aren't the people I expect to be rewarded being rewarded? Mm -hmm. So there, I would say yes, that living the values, behaving the values is important. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of risk in mm -hmm. the specific business choices that are being made right now because there's no way to know until That's right. <laughs> the results are in. That's right. Whether or not the tactics and the strategy were the right tactics and the strategy. But, you know, speaking to a point earlier when you're talking about this individual, there's seven in the morning, last person to leave, doors open. It's kind of hard for, for, for him to get his work done. Um, and that speaks to a leader needs to have balance as well. Um, when we were talking uh, during the break, um, you spoke about some of the key components of managing in a crisis. And you said number one is to acknowledge the problem. Number two is to listen to folks within the organization about how you can solve the problem, but not listen to the point where, I guess it's a pity party. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing you talked about was to have um, a clear, concise direction of where you want to go, but also to be calm, but also to be caring. Mm -hmm. How does a leader balance these four components in a way where they still can have work-family balance because at the end of the day, if the leader comes down ill because they've worked themselves into a frenzy, uh, that's not helping anyone, especially not uh, his or her uh, particular family. Well, let's be clear about this balance thing mm -hmm. at the start. And, and that, to be clear, I mean, what's been going on in the economy, there's no balance right now. I mean, right. this is kind of crisis mode. Mm -hmm. So all of the great people that I'm working with right now get it. Yeah. This is the time I'm here to work. You roll up the sleeves. You yeah. roll up the sleeves and you right. do it. Actually, he's dealing with pushback about balance. People have to have balance. Well, yes, that's true, but not the senior leadership in the organization. They're the ones who are bearing the responsibility and argue, arguably being compensated for turning the organization around. Mm -hmm. So when you say balance, it's a relative thing. Mm -hmm. Their balance mm -hmm. will come. Uh, being sure that you're taking care of yourself physically and mm -hmm. emotionally right. so that you have the energy to expend for others is important mm -hmm. so that you're not burnt out. You're not frustrated to the point of saying something you shouldn't so that you can be calm mm -hmm. when you need to be calm, mm -hmm. knowing when to walk away, right. having the appropriate person to download with so that you're not downloading in places you shouldn't be. But again, being self-aware, being smart about your hot buttons, being mm -hmm. smart about taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Not so unlike parenting, because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking about that. <laughs> I think about that all the time with my 12-year-old, uh, mm -hmm. who, who teaches me every day that there's always a, a deeper level of understanding of communication mm -hmm. with her. You know, in this particular case, how is uh, this particular executive doing in managing um, his young, dynamic, go-getter person? How is he... Uh, doing there? Is he having success in reaching that individual at a very emotional intelligence level? Yes, he spends one-on-one -on -one time with that person, reminding him what he does well. Mm -hmm. And he has rallied some organizational support in terms of mm -hmm. getting him a coach, even though this person didn't believe he needed a coach, mm -hmm. 
who could help him realize where he is on the development curve in terms of his career, mm-hmm. but also make sure that he is learning how to delegate, learning mm-hmm. how to build a team, learning how to motivate so mm-hmm. that he's not doing all the work himself. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is a man in this case. And then taking some things off of his plate. Mm-hmm. What you find is that the mm-hmm. people who will do the work usually get the big jobs. Right. And and being smart about how mm-hmm. much work you actually give the high potential person um, the one who will kill themselves. It's important mm-hmm. to to be smart about how much you actually give them. You got to give them enough to feel, make them feel like they have more than the lion's share, but not too much not that too you much. break them. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about conflict management. Taking something off of someone's plate it seems like that would be a clear case of there's going to be a conflict in regards to individual feel that you're taking something away because they're not competent enough. Taking something away because they're not competent enough. Uh, but I guess it is a skill set for you to be able to convince them that it's in the better, uh, it's better for the organization, it's better for them, and they're not diminished any any uh, yeah, by so any any fraction. And there are of ways this. of of describing what you're doing, so it's not taking away. Right, right. I mean, there are, there are there are ways of positioning a move and allocating resources mm-hmm. and, and all of those things, but it does take a lot of work. Mm-hmm. to manage a high potential person who's mm-hmm. got a lot of drive and a lot of ambition and they come in all different shapes and sizes and you want to have them but you also need a complement of grounded mm-hmm. mature um, people with solid judgment to be able to be the the um, sounding board I should say for for judgment calls absolutely what are some of the essential skill sets in managing conflict I mean um, managing conflict is is in in our lives is it's it's a daily thing, you know whether it's uh, managing conflicts within with a with a, with a colleague, uh, within a group setting, uh, within a committee, with an industry group. Um, what are some of the key things that you think the the better leaders use to manage conflict? My personal opinion of one of the most essential core set skill sets, as you're saying is the ability to express value in the person while you separate the issue, that the conflictual issue, uh, even if it's person-to-person conflict. If you could value the people while you're talking about <clears throat> the problem, that's, that's a true gift. So some of the skill sets, I mean, having the ability to have a healthy dialogue. Mm. If your team regardless of where it is and what function it is, hasn't learned how to have a conversation, hasn't learned how to separate their own egos from the idea, the concept, the problem, the decision that needs to be made so that they can bash that that issue around the table back and forth uh, without attacking the person. They can Mm -hmm. attack the idea, the Mm -hmm. issue, not the person. If they Mm -hmm. haven't learned that skill, Mm -hmm. then conflict is really hard to manage in a healthy fashion. You know, and then if you add a a cultural, geographic difference on top of it, it becomes even more complex. Yes. Oftentimes, when I would travel down to Latin America to do business down there, I often found that most disagreements were disagreements only due to uh, differences of language. Had nothing to do with the business at hand. You mean the word meant a different thing to you than exactly. it did to me, even That's if right. it was in English or in, or That's in right. Spanish? That's right. Or, or you find that uh, because there was um, a difference in culture, that folks didn't understand each other's cultures. Mm-hmm. And therefore, a conflict would arise. And folks would, would, would say, oh, this person really doesn't know what they're talking about. But when, in fact, the person 
did understand what they were talking about, but they meant something else. There you go back to the dealing with the person first. Yeah. I mean, the, the job and the skill set belongs to an individual and, and to a person. So when leaders are able to relate to the individual, to the person, then a lot of the cultural differences, a lot of the personality differences are much easier to negotiate even in a conflictual situation. It's, it's hard to learn because conflict takes time and conflict's necessary for robust decision-making and good ideas come out of a lot of conflict. I mean, there's a whole bunch of opportunity when there's chaos and, and conflict and, and knowing that mm-hmm. helps you value the people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key component, being able to, to, ta- to value the individual and the person and separate the person from the conflict. How does a leader measure success? Ooh, that's a loaded question, isn't Sorry it? Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do I reflect and say I am making progress as a leader uh, versus, you know, someone who just pats himself on the back and says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm great at being a leader? Well, So how do you be objective to, to ensure that you're on the right track of being the best leader that you can be? Make a list of all the stakeholders in the outcome. I mean, you have to know what the outcome is, right? Right. Okay, so if there's an outcome... You probably have stakeholders. There's a boss. There's a team. There's a board of directors. There's mm-hmm. Wall Street. There's something. So if you make a list of the stakeholders and you get a report, an assessment, comments, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. feedback from your stakeholders, mm-hmm. then you've got most of the definition of success. And then you ask yourself, are you personally satisfied? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's individual satisfaction as well. And then my spin on the whole thing is, have you increased the future capability of the team or the organization or the business. So I see it sort of three-dimensional, the stakeholders, individual satisfaction, but also increasing the future capability. That is, uh, Lee, that's a topic I would love for you to come back to talk about, and that is uh, organization transition, Hmm. you know, increasing capabilities. As my mother would say to me, it's leaving the place better than what you found it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and oftentimes you find folks are always having trouble to determine. Well, you know, so and so goes. Who's going to take their place? Yes, that's why there's so much written about legacy now. So, in thinking about emotional intelligence, what could you recommend to our readers to read uh, for their Sunday leisure reading? Ooh, well, you're going to get me to go right to my philosophical core, and say that you probably need to think about who you really are as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, what your values are, Mm -hmm. what values you would never compromise, Mm -hmm. what you want people to say about you when you're no longer there. Right. And if you start from there, Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't know how to answer the question what my values are, there are books and lists of common values, and you can have a discussion with the person or individual who knows you best Mm -hmm. to try to figure out which values you do put higher on the priority list and lower on the priority list. And that's always an interesting conversation over a beer or a glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Starting with your values is a really good place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then putting yourself in situations where you know there are very different people from you Mm -hmm. will force you to confront your own beliefs about the values you hold Mm because you also have a set of beliefs Mm -hmm. around those values and the better you understand your own beliefs then the more aware you'll be and available 
mm-hmm. for this emotional intelligence to emerge. Availability is, I think, the very, very first step. And you can't get there until you know who you are, who the, so the who, the what, the why. Of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Availability. Of Could you expound on that a little bit more when you mean availability? You're probably a good example of this, Darrell. You're a very emotionally available guy. You are good at parking your own thoughts and listening to the person you're speaking to. You ask more questions than the average person, and you try to understand what I'm saying. So you are available for this content area. Mm -hmm. There are lots of people who aren't, who Mm -hmm. really choose not to be in that space, Mm -hmm. don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. soft skills and emotional cues and interpersonal dynamics and conflict. They just don't want to. They'd rather stay in a place of concrete, measurable, in our, un, what's a, can't argue, the black mm-hmm. and white right. part of life. Right. And that's their choice. That's their choice. You know, looking at the public figures that we can, we can talk about publicly, um, who would you say are some of the best uh, leaders today that really demonstrate a very strong emotional intelligence? Mm, I would have to think long and hard about that one. Yeah. Because I probably would think historically more than... Well, I'll throw one than, out. Yeah. Phil Jackson, coach of the L.A. Lakers, formerly the Chicago Bulls. I remember when Phil Jackson was a, uh assistant coach under Doug Collins. And when the Bulls would finish playing and the game was over and the fans were waiting for Doug Collins and the Bulls, Phil Jackson was walking alone by himself. Well, lo and behold, one day he became the head coach. And he was able to connect to B.J. Armstrong and Stacey King. Now, for the folks who are basketball fans, you know this. For the folks who are not, I apologize. But what was key was the difference between his style and uh, Doug Collins' style was that as soon as B.J. or Stacey King would make a mistake, he would pull them out the game. Phil Jackson will allow them to stay and learn. And those two players became very effective team members for him, and they went on to win a lot of championships. And... I've read a few books about Phil Jackson. One of them is called uh, Hoop Dreams, and where he talks about uh, connecting with the players emotionally and really understanding what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. And he's just someone I just wanted to, to, to throw well, out. Well, if a, you go back to the statement about check with your stakeholders, mm-hmm. I wonder, I mean, your, your little story here makes me wonder if you asked under both of the co- coaches you articulated mm-hmm. what the people would say yeah. about those Right. particular styles. Right. And there's probably the component of the mix of individuals mm-hmm. who chose to stay and not go mm-hmm. take another contract somewhere. That's right. So it's not a one-way street. Right. It's more than a two-way street mm-hmm. because there's the whole team dynamic that's, that's right. greater than the sum of the parts, mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. So I would go back to my stakeholders. You'd have to ask them. Mm-hmm. I don't think an outsider can truly say whether or not a particular coach is excellent. When you get the results, okay, the coach did what they were supposed to do. The team seems to gel. They say they're a team they want to stay. Okay, that's even more evidence. Uh, They keep winning. It's sustainable results. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we've got something we want to know what some of the ingredients are here. So I just think you need to look further. Further, deeper, Mm -hmm. of course, of course. Does anyone come to mind? At I think the one I've learned about most recently in the last year is our U.S. volleyball coach, Hugh mm-hmm. McCutcheon, mm-hmm. who won the gold medal in Beijing 
Despite the tragedy. Despite everything surrounding the Beijing Olympics, which was all quite complicated, because he's a results-focused man, Mm -hmm. and he's a volleyball player himself, Mm -hmm. but he spends a lot of time getting to know the individuals that he recruits right. and demonstrates to them that he is invested mm-hmm. in their success as well as the team's success. Mm-hmm. And he's very good at knowing how to set team norms, knowing how to hold people accountable, knowing how to tolerate not, uh, not tolerate deviant behavior from what the whole team has mm-hmm. agreed on. And I think he's probably a really good example of um, being aware Mm -hmm. and connected Mm -hmm. around some of these concepts of emotional intelligence. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Lee, I want to thank you for your time today. I think uh, this topic of emotional intelligence, I know that I have learned quite a bit over the last uh, 30 minutes with you. Uh, Any last comments you'd like to share with uh, the audience in regards to a, a book or a quote? Well, you asked me to bring a book recommendation, and so I'll tie back to my comment earlier about Mm -hmm. getting to know yourself. Mm -hmm. And I haven't actually read this book in a few years, but I know it's on my shelf, and I've used quotes out of it for other other subject matter. It's called Leading with Soul by Bowman and Deal, 2001 publication. Yes. And that's a good uh, light. It's it's kind of a light read. You can't read the whole thing right through. You have to read little pieces and parts and then mm-hmm. think. So there's some activity in it as well. And I appreciated that for a couple of my coaches mm-hmm. who needed to figure out what, what they stood for. Right. And then one of my favorite co- quotes is about trust. And it's a, it's a Goethe quote. Ah. Trust people as if they were what they ought to be. And you help them become what they are capable of being. That is awesome. We are here with Dr. Lee Kearney. And Lee, I want to thank you for your time this morning. Uh, I think our audience is going to be well-versed in the basics of emotional intelligence. And I look forward to seeing you uh, in the future to discuss other topics. Thank you.